that okay? Sorry, multitasking. Um, boys and girls, can I have your attention just for one second? Today is our family service, but I need to say something to the church because Joy, Joy Bentley um, said, told me that I did, and if Joy tells you to do something, Joy, not Joy Bentley, sorry, Joy Massey. Joy Bentley's looking puzzled there and worried. Joy Massey, if Joy Massey tells you you've got to do something, then you have to do it. Um, so it's not about Jonah, but to keep you occupied, there's some pictures and some puzzles on the back table over there that you can go and get so that you can colour them in and do the stories. Um, we've gone for very biblically accurate pictures of uh, a fish, a big fish with a jaunty hat. Um, so if you want to go in there and, and grab those while, while I'm speaking, uh, that would be, that'd be brilliant. Um, I'm going to speak on what I shared at Eve Lane at the end of April on the Sunday evening. And um, on that evening, someone said to me, are you, are you gonna, I thought you'd do what you did at Junction 10 the week before. I didn't think you'd do something new. And I said, no, I'm not important enough for that. Because some of these important speakers, you hear them, and then you go to another event and you hear them, and they've done the same sermon because that's what God's got on their heart. And I was like, I'm not important enough for that. I've got to, do, I've got to bring something new. But after that, Joy said, you've got to bring that to the folks at Junction 10. So, so that's what we're doing this morning. So if you can turn in your Bibles to Joshua 3. It's quite a long reading this morning, but we'll start in Joshua 3 and go through to Joshua 5, verse 1. Uh, we'll, we'll skip over a little bit in chapter 4. <coughs> so if you were there, Eveline, I apologise um, but hopefully you'll get something new from it this morning. And just as you turn into that, if I can encourage you, if you do only usually come on a Sunday morning, if you can make a special effort to be there for the baptismal service. There's a couple of people who say, yes, I want to publicly acknowledge my faith and say that I'm moving forward. And it's great if we're all there as a family to to celebrate that and to acknowledge that so can i make a special plea if you only come on another morning please make an extra special effort on that sunday the 12th of june so joshua 3 early in the morning joshua and all the israelites set out from shaitim and went to the jordan where they camped before crossing over after three days the officers went throughout the camp giving orders to the people when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priest carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the Ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the head of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. 
this is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will drive, certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. See, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe, as soon as the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathon. While the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. Jump into verse 10 of chapter 4. Now the priests who carried the ark remained standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything the Lord had commanded Joshua was done by the people. Just as Moses had directed Joshua, the people hurried over and as soon as all of them had crossed, the ark of the Lord and the priests came to the other side while the people watched. The men of Reuben, Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over ready for battle in front of the Israelites as Moses had directed them. About 40,000 armed for battle crossed over before the Lord to the plains of Jericho for war. That day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in, him, in awe of him all the days of his life, just as they had stood in awe of Moses. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant Law to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, Come up out of the Jordan. And the priests came up out of the river, carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. No sooner had they set their feet on the dry ground than the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran at flood stage as before. On the tenth day of the first month, the people went up from, jo from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the twelve stones they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their parents, What do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. Chapter 5. Now when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over, their hearts melted in fear and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. An elderly couple... A husband and a wife were having problems remembering things. We won't give them names this morning. So they decided to go to their doctor to get checked out, just to make sure that nothing was wrong. The doctor explained to them, when you get many things, too many things going on in your mind, 
you can have problems with your memory. It may not be because you're old, it might be you've just got too much going on. And he suggested that they could start making notes to help them remember things. So they said, thank you, and they left. Back at home later that night, they were watching television together, and the man stood up and went to the kitchen, and his wife said, where are you going? I'm going to the kitchen to get some ice cream, he answered. She said, will you get me a bowl of ice cream too while you're there? And he said, sure, no problem. She said, don't you think you should write it down so you can remember it? And he says, no, I'll remember ice cream. Well, said the wife, can I have some strawberries on the top too? Now you better write that down because you'll forget that. No, I won't, I'll remember, he said. Well, can I have some cream on it as well, said the wife. Now you will forget that, so please write it down. The man at this stage was getting a little bit irritated. And he said, I don't need to write it down, I'll remember it, it'll be fine. 20 minutes passes, the man returns with a plate of bacon and eggs. <laughs> the wife stares at him and says, I knew you were going to mess it up, where's my toast? <laughs> How's your memory this morning? The passage that we read comes towards the end of the Israelites' journey through the wilderness. 40 years after they'd been led out of Egypt by Moses, God had led them uh, by cloud by day and fire by night. He provided them with drinking water. He provided them with food in the quail and the manna. And he gave them victory in battle. But now we're 40 years on. So two generations have been born while they've been in the wilderness. It's not the same nation of Israel that left Egypt. They'd made mistakes along the way. Maybe there's some grumbles about the lack of variety in the food. What's for dinner today, Mom? You can have manna with or without quail. In Numbers 14, after Moses had sent men out to explore Canaan, God had said only Caleb and Joshua would enter the land. So by this stage, those two may have been the only people that remained of those that had left Egypt. Maybe the younger generation were questioning why they'd left in the first place. Forty years... 40 years of wandering, the man who had led them out was gone. Maybe some questioned, actually, we've had the stories about the parting of the Red Sea, but, you know, stories take on a life of their own, don't they? Did it really happen that way? Surely if God was going to part a sea and give them direct escape, why would he make them wander for the next 40 years? You know, maybe it was just low tide, maybe they'd just got the bottoms of the their uh, clothes wet. Maybe they'd cut the corner off and the tide was out at that stage. Or maybe it was Moses that could do that, but I'm not so sure about this guy, Joshua. Uh, I'm speculating, of course, what the Israelites may have been saying or thinking. But throughout the journey, don't we, while they're in the wilderness, we read how they question and they challenge what God's been saying and what he wants to do. If you flick back quickly to chapter 2, though, Joshua had sent spies into Jericho who'd been taken in by Rahab. The king of Jericho learned of this and demanded the spies be brought to him. He was prepared to take on the Israelites. Because after all, these Israelites had been wandering for decades. They'd lost their leader. Moses was dead. Were they still a threat? Well, we read, don't we, that Rahab didn't hand over the spies to the king of Jericho because she recognised the God of Israel 
was the true God. And in verse 8 we read, Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven, above and on the earth below. What an encouragement to the spies. Oh, what a message they took back with them from the most unexpected source. People were still afraid of the Israelites on the basis of 40-year-old information. They said to Joshua, the Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. But let's go back to the Israelite camp then. They were packed up, ready to move again. Led by the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant, And in my head, I've got a Hollywood blockbuster scene going on. Yeah, see a mass of people all packed up, ready to march. You've got sweeping shots across this huge gathering of people as they walk, start trudging up towards a ridge. They always go towards a ridge, don't they? All you can see is the path and the sky. You've got the epic orchestral soundtrack going on as they approach the ridge. And then suddenly, dun dun! Sorry if I woke you. Dun dun! They reach the top and the camera pans across the valley. You see the fast flowing River Jordan. Can you see it? Yeah, some people can see it. And that's exactly what they faced, the flooded river. Obediently, the priests carried on, and we read, as soon as their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. Now in Exodus 14, the part in the Red Sea, we read that God parted Bath with a wall of water on the right and a wall on the left. But he did things slightly differently here. We read he stopped the water flowing upstream and it piled up in a big heap at a town called Adam. And from what I've read, that was about 15 to 20 miles upstream of where they were crossing. So let's go back into movie mode. The priests step out, plant their front foot in the water and nothing appears to happen. The Israelites stare at the water as it continues to roar past, someone says, he can't do it like Moses did. But then suddenly, someone shouts as they spot the top of the rock in the middle of the stream become visible. The priests look down, the water that was covering their foot is now barely reaching his toes. And slowly, gradually, the water that had already been stopped in the river up at Adam flows past and the riverbed is exposed allowing the Israelites to cross again what an encouragement for the Israelites and just as God has parted the water to facilitate their escape from Egypt he parts the water to signal their imminent entry into the promised land 
Why didn't he stop the river immediately? Well, perhaps it was one more lesson about timing. Because sometimes we can expect miracles to be instantaneous, can't we? We can come be become discouraged when we pray into a situation, we plead for God to work, but there's no change. Sometimes we have to wait. Sometimes we have to stand in the water, fighting the current, believing in a promise, and then we will see the miracle. After 40 years of wandering, there were probably doubters, but God was still teaching them to be obedient during the wait. Maybe God does it to test faith. Maybe he does it to prove his faithfulness and his presence prior to the miracle. Maybe he does it to teach us how to be strong in the current in adversity. Or maybe he does it because he just works on a completely different agenda to us. But God provided again and we're in full view of the army, the enemy. And he's the key to the promise. He always comes through. So this morning, let's be honest, the church at Junction 10 has fantastic stories, fantastic histories, his story. And those of us meeting here this morning, we know that God is still working here, don't we? And yet, there may be mourning, there may be a sense of loss because things aren't as they were. Outside, does looking in my question what's happening. The king of Jericho saw the Israelites 40 years in the wilderness without Moses. And yet, when he saw them cross, they were on the verge of possessing everything God had promised them. And later in chapter 5, read that the manna stopped because they were eating the produce of Canaan. See, God doesn't change. He's faithful and he keeps his promises. Promises spoken over our church, they will become our truth. God's provided miraculously in the past, and he will again. And doubters will be left amazed. Not for the glory of any person, not for the glory of the church at Junction 10, but for his glory and the furtherance of his kingdom. And the enemy will be crushed because he knows the stories of Junction 10 as well as anyone and he's afraid. He keeps picking away because he knows what's coming. He knows the worst for him is still in store. Behold, I am doing a new thing, we read in Isaiah 43. Before we cross the Jordan, though, and enter the Promised Land, there are a few instructions given to the Israelites that I think we should take notice of too. Firstly, the leaders prepared the Israelites. In verse 2, after three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priest carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you all know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the Ark. Do not go near it. This was a new chapter. This was a new adventure, a new land. And since it's all new, God is the guide. Notice at this stage the Israelites aren't being led by the cloud. They are now to follow the ark of God as it's carried by the priests. The Israelites have to be prepared to move 
when the ark of the presence of God did. And so do we. If I can say we don't have the benefit of an actual ark to see when it physically moves. But nevertheless, we need to be able to see when God is moving and be ready to go. When he leaves, we have to leave. And sometimes it can be difficult because we're comfortable or we're accustomed to present circumstances, even if they're sometimes a bit unpleasant. Does anybody watch those television programs like Grime Fighters or the, you know, they follow the environmental health people about? Yeah? And two people, the rest of you are obviously studying your Bibles. <laughs> well, there's one, I think, it's, I think it was Grime Fighters or something similar. And uh, they featured the story of Mr. Trebus. Ah, yeah, <laughs> Mr. Trebus, everybody knows Mr. Trebus. A small, lonely, elderly gentleman who was living in squalid conditions due to all the, all the tat he collected. We, we're black country, we understand tat. It was so bad he couldn't get in and out the front door. He had to walk down the side of his house and being so frail and small and walking with a stick, he'd then climb up a ladder to get over the fence when he needed to get out. The officers went to help him, but he shouted at them to get off my property, swung his stick at them, and he wasn't happy. They learned that he was Polish, they learned he'd been a prisoner of war, but they feared for his safety. So, needing to address the problem that was created for the environment and fearing for his safety, the story progressed over a series of weeks where ultimately they went to court, the legal process was concluded and Mr. Trebus was begrudgingly taken from his home and put in an old people's home. But they went back to Mr. Trebus later in the series and what a transformation there was. From the unkempt, cantankerous old man living in his own dirty, probably vermin-infested home. What a transformation. He was clean, he was jovial, he was friendly to everyone in the home he was in. And it was genuinely emotional to see it. And when, when they reported, sadly, that he passed away at the end of the series. You see, you may not want to move. You may be making excuses why you can't move. But start preparing because God's got a better way. And when he moves, we need to be ready. And part of that preparation is a spiritual one. Note in verse 5, Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua knows that God wants to do something amazing. In other translations it says, He will do great wonders. He also knows that God can only do amazing things or great wonders when we, His people, are set apart and dedicated and pure. And there's a critical lesson here for us. If we want God to act in a mighty way in our lives and in our world, we better stand before him consecrated. That's not perfect. We're not perfect. We can't be perfect. We know that the first amazing thing he does for us is to make us pure. He forgives us, he releases us, and he sets us free. 
that's the start. And that can be a bit scary. But just as David did in Psalm 51, we need to keep asking for that renewal. We may be afraid to stand before God and ask him to purify us. Maybe it's shame. Maybe, actually, we're comfortable in where we are. There's that element of us that likes our sin even. We're used to it. We've learned to cope. We've learned to function with it. If we're being honest sometimes, we admit it's harmful to others around us. But maybe there's still that thing that lack, that's lacking to enable us to change. To enter the promised land, to receive everything God's got for us, we need to be pure. We need to be right with God. Because that's got to be our ultimate pr priority. How do we do it? We confess our sin. We lay aside hurts and hatred. We lift our hearts towards God. We trust in the sovereign I am. And we're humble in his holy presence. And that's the next thing, his presence. You know, when we did this at Eagle Lane, I prepared it. And that afternoon, we had a word through from, from a couple saying, God's speaking to us about his presence. And he's just like, okay, you've got our attention now, God. We've got it. The Israelites had to be prepared and be pure because they had to remain in his presence. In chapter 3, verse 10, Joshua says, This is how you will know that the living king is among you, and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. See, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Joshua lists the seven nations who inhabited the land of Canaan. All of them were going to be defeated so that the Israelites knew they were going to take full possession of it. First of all, though, they had to cross the Jordan. To encourage them, they had to be led by the ark, the symbol of his presence. It was to go before them in the river. As the people prepared to, to enter the promised land, Joshua reminded them of the promises God has made. He was with them. They weren't alone. He was going before them, and he's omnipotent. The task that was before him, he could do. He'd already done it. They could trust and obey. Consider, put yourself back in the Israelites. How would you feel as the water slowed and stopped flowing? Joshua said the ark would go before them, and look what happened. How couldn't they believe that God was going to drive out their enemies too, just as he'd said? The Israelites could be left in no doubt it was the presence of God that parted the waters. Chapter 4, verse 18 says, The priests came up out of the river, carrying the ark of the covenant of the Lord. No sooner had they set their feet on the dry ground than the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran at flood stage as before. Now, if we say when God stopped the river upstream when the priest entered the water and that the river gradually flowed away in verse 18 if the waters returned to their place as soon as the priest set foot on dry ground to me that suggests that God released the huge pile of water while they were still stood in the river and we read didn't we that the priest remained on the bed of the Jordan after the rest of the people had crossed. 
They only moved when Joshua gave the instruction to do so. And the whole nation of Israel and the enemy, the king in Jericho, would have seen this. Maybe they saw the water start to approach as the priests and the ark were still yet to reach the land. Maybe there was a sense of fear. Maybe there's a panic. Are they going to make it? Another demonstration, another lesson in God's immaculate timing that they weren't harmed there. As I mentioned earlier, we don't have an ark in front of us this morning. It's quite, it would be quite easy, wouldn't we? Pick the ark up, move it. God's moved, we can see that. The flip side to that is his presence is wherever we go. And while only the priests could approach the ark and everyone had to keep a safe distance, maybe up to half a mile, we can stand here in the presence of God this morning through preparation, through the preparation and purity of Jesus. And as we do, our whole reason is to enter into his promise, a promise to never leave us, never forsake us, promise of a fresh start, promise of a new life. So this morning, let's recall the good things that God's done in our lives, in our families, in our church. Let's thank him for his goodness and faithfulness. Lives have been transformed through those stories. Heavenly battles have been won that we don't know yet know about. Stories from Junction 10 have impacted far and wide. But let's be ready for more. Let's see the fulfillment of all his promises. Let's be prepared to move when and where he moves. And let's make sure we're pure and let's hunger after his presence. His very presence. Not a memory. Not a monument. But his actual presence. If you'd like to close your eyes. I don't want to um, assume this morning that everybody here knows Jesus is their saviour and that everybody here is a Christian. And if you're not, and if what I've just said stir something then I'm going to look up and just pop your hand up and, uh, and we'll, we'll pray for you I'm looking up now if there's anybody here thank you thank you And there may be people that have been a Christian for some time. But maybe you're, you're questioning. Oh, well, I was told this and I'm sure God promised me that, but I'm not sure. If maybe you you got some doubts, if that's you then, again, I'm looking up now if you want to pop your hand up and we'll pray for you too.
Lord, we thank you for this one lady that said this morning that I want to know this Jesus. I want to know more about this Jesus that gave himself in purity so that we may into the promise of eternal life and be able to stand in the presence of an almighty God. Lord, we thank you for, for the sacrifice that you made. And Lord, we thank you that you've got promises for each one of us individually and for us as a church here at Junction 10. And Lord, we just pray now that we're obedient to you, to your call, that we go where you go, that we remain in your presence. And Lord, that we see these promises fulfilled. Promises that have been spoken many years ago, promises that may seem more unlikely now than they ever have. But Lord, we just thank you for your faithfulness, that you don't change. And Lord, that we will see the promises become our truth. Amen.